Hello everybody. Today's Builder Chat with Chad is sponsored by Versatex. Versatex is a company that was founded back in 2004 by building industry professionals dedicated to bringing quality PVC building products to the building industry. Yes, that's over 17 years of providing the industry with exceptional moldings, trim boards, and many other PVC accessories. Their products are strong, durable, lightweight, and easy to install. Their trim is resistant to moisture, insects, and capable of below-grade installation where required. But beyond that, why do I really like Versatex? Well, personally, I like them because they're responsive when I need a teammate to answer my questions and help me through a design. As a sole proprietor architect, this is as important as it gets for me in a professional relationship. They become an extension of my practice. When you're looking for your next trim options, look no further than Versatex. Welcome to the Unbuild It Podcast. I'm Jake Bruton. Today I'm joined by my co-host Steve Basic. That's a weak welcome. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unbuild It Podcast. Steve just likes to scream so that everybody has to turn their, their audio version down. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be dynamic. Like you need to be able to yes. feel the podcast. Can't just okay. it's not just something you listen to. It needs to be emotional. <laughs> Maybe you're not as excited then, as I am to be here, but <laughs> I can tell that I'm not as excited as you. <laughs> and if you were listening closely, you heard a third voice. Today we are joined uh, by Chad Gessen. Chad, say hello. Hey guys. <laughs> Chad is with First Dunes, and correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are. We'll get into the bio, but uh, you guys are on Long Island, but the majority Correct. of the stuff that you're doing is a little further out on the island, or no? So yeah, we're on Long Island, which is a great uh, way to say it. That's the proper way to say it, and uh, not in Long Island. And um, and our boundaries of construction, I usually describe as the, the Hudson River, the Long Island Sound, and the Atlantic Ocean, because we also uh, build, as you can see sort of over my shoulder, we also build uh, uh, multifamily buildings in New York City uh, under our okay. other company is uh, called Chatham Development Company. Um, and yeah, so we do build, uh, the first dune's name is, is our custom home building division. And we do build basically all of Nassau and Suffolk County. So that's the suburbs of New York City from right there on the New York City border all the way out to the end of Montauk. Okay. So uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the area, it's the little dangly bit below New York City that runs east-west, right? And that's the, a, the it's little, a good way for The little geography lesson that we all, geology lesson that we all learn here on Long Island in fourth grade is that we're just all of the spoils of the glaciers moving across North America and melting and depositing rocks and sand, and that's what we live on. That's funny. Uh, okay, so give us your so your, your glacier trash. Your we glacier, are glacier trash for sure. <laughs> I feel like glacier trash is more of an insult than anybody could ever ever expect it to be. <laughs> I, ironically, I feel like if somebody yelled that at me in traffic, I would have a bad day. Ironically, we we there's there's a project that we had done in a, a central Long Island called uh, a village called North Hills, and we referred to the soil we would excavate under the foundations as North Hills Gold, which means that it is just completely silty clay soil that is undrainable. And yet, if you go five miles away and you dig a hole in the ground, you will pull out construction grade sand. 
And that's kind of the conditions that we deal with out here. It just varies a bit because it's just whatever washed off the glacier. Again, every time I talk to a builder in another market, I think, uh, man, I've got it easy. Like th- th- our soil tests are all the same. <laughs> the, the Where we dig, there's either a little bit of rock or no rock. Like I have it very easy in the sense of what my job entails from a site site standpoint and like clientele. So I always, I always, uh, you're reiterating my love for where I build, even though I'm sure you're happy where you build. So give us the, how did you start in this business, Chad? Uh, what is your history with the company that you're with? So my company is a family business that is uh, my father, Harvey, my sister and myself, um, in the generation before that, you know, my parents who are divorced now, my mom and my dad in the 70s transitioned to my grandfather's electrical business. So they were electrical contractors in New York City, commercial construction, and sort of started, they did that and they moonlighted as small building developers in Manhattan in the 70s, uh, you know, building, you know, slip 25 foot wide, you know, eight, eight, 10 story, you know, brick and Q deck buildings um, that they turned into co-ops and condos. Uh, my, my grandfather before that got his start in the trades uh, out in Reading, Pennsylvania, converting gas uh, piping inside of houses to uh, electrical conduit to illuminate homes. And um, and yeah, so my, my dad, you know, primarily is the, the foundation of the business. And um, the long and short of it is, you know, there was a, a pretty major recession in the end of the 80s. And my dad had a really nice run at that prior to that building, multifamily buildings in Manhattan. And the market just dissolved. It was like kind of like the recession of the 08 where it was everybody was flipping and specking and all this stuff. And my dad sat kind of did, didn't do much for two years, but he didn't get injured. He made money in that market and sort of sat on his butt. And um, he was a builder developer and just was sitting waiting for something to happen. And bankers started coming to him that he worked with and said, oh, there's this project that we own now that's 800 houses in Long Island and this other one. And we lived in Long Island. And they said, why don't you take these over? And my dad was like, I've, I've never built a house before. And they said, well, if you can build an apartment building, you can definitely build a house. And the developers of these projects who are builders, they have no money, but they will stay with you and show you what to do. And so my dad had a run in the 90s with two partners in a company called Island Estates, where they built a few thousand like, you know, production homes uh, of, you know, like, you know, a couple thousand square feet, you know, and pretty basic 200, 300,000 dollar homes in the heyday of Long Island's growth. And there was a period of time when there was a split made where um, where my dad, you know, wanted to go down the luxury route and his partners wanted to stay in that production. And my dad sort of says, like, I just he, my dad really can't not build. He can't build a bad house. And it, it's a problem if you're trying to sell a house for two hundred thousand dollars. And his, what he would say is that, like, I can't have my profit margin depend on whether I lost a box of nails or not. And um, and th- and that was really the transition and so as it would happen over time, he, we got into building custom homes for clients. And that was a very small part of our business. And most of it was buying land, uh, whether it be a house that we knocked down, an old house or a piece of blank land and building a custom spec home and then marketing that and selling that. And we've done a ton of that since 2002 in a area in West Hampton called West Hampton Beach, Long Island on the Barrier Beach that was destroyed um, due to some really bad governmental planning of jetty systems. And I know I'm talking on a lot here, but basically what happened is a four-mile stretch of land that got completely eviscerated over the course of 25 years of, of, of erosion because 
the Army Corps of Engineers stopped short of the last two jetties and left this last piece of the barrier in Southampton, the town of Southampton, exposed. And a series of nor'easters took out about three miles of the land and about 200 houses. And these people ultimately seceded from the town of Southampton, created their own village to sue the state of New York and the federal government and the county. And ultimately, the Army Corps of Engineers stepped up to the plate and settled it by saying, everybody, you lost your houses, but we'll put the land back for you. And when that happened, my dad in that quiet period in the 90s had bought a marina across the bay from this area and was, as a, to be a nice guy, was providing people rides to go to their houses that they couldn't get to that were floating in the ocean to get their stuff. And so he was like familiar with this. And when it started to get rebuilt, he was like, oh, maybe I can make some money there and buy some lots. And so he came out and he started building houses there. And he was like, he was late to the game. There's some other people there. And what he noticed was people were building terrible houses. They were building houses where like you open the front door and you can't see the ocean. But if you walk around a wall, the ocean's right there. And then they're building houses elevated on pilings 12 feet up where the entire underside of the first floor system is is insulated with, with fiberglass bats, but open to the air. And all the plumbing is in there. So every one of these people has a broken pipe like in October. And so my dad started to buck against the trident as he always did and came up with some crazy methods where like, you know, all of our piping for the first floors, even though we build these houses airtight now, is in the ceiling of the first floor anyway, because we just don't do it. You know, we don't mess around like that. And he, you know, elevated the market over years. And I stepped into that business when I was 17. I was driving out there for a paycheck, being a a handyman, fixing locks and, you know, hanging plywood under these houses and using the early versions of canned spray foam. True story, actually. They didn't originally make canned spray foam that was meant for installing overhead. They just made one kind. And they would give me these cans and have me, you know, do the joints of the plywood. And I was rough shaven like this and it dripped on my face. And we had no like acetone or like nail polish remover. And so within about 10 minutes, I had a, a, a sheen of spray foam adhered to my face that I had to go to the hospital and have removed. Um, so, I, I mean, but, but, but the point was, is that like I put my, my labor into making sure people's feet were warm in these houses in the winter. And, um, you know, that's basically our whole story uh, to where we come. And I guess now what we've sort of transitioned into, especially with, you know, the past several years, we've we've hit a flywheel effect where we're building much nicer houses, much more energy efficient houses, much more comfortable houses, much more durable houses. And people realize that now they are living 12 months in the houses that we build where our competitors don't build 12 month capable houses. And um and so we get paid more for that. Now we've become very popular as a custom builder. And so actually now most of our work is custom and only a few of our projects per year are our specs. So can we say the uh, the moral of the first Dune story is that uh, if as long as you push to do things better and you continually get better, people at some point will notice and they will pay for it. And you will be more successful than some of your competitors because you're doing things the right way. Yeah, 100%. And we're like, I, I've been really into uh, Peloton recently to lose some weight. And there's an instructor who says progress over perfection. And I think that that's a really big deal with what we're trying to do, which is like, you know, I built a house one way in 2019 and like learned some stuff from it. And like, it may have gotten wrong, 
you know, but as Mike Gerton says, like I, I like wake up in 2020 and I'm like, I probably need to change the name of the company, you know, but, um, but at the same time, it's like, it's not a mistake. It's just different and it, it probably works. Um, but in 2020, we've got a whole new way to do it maybe. And that's good too. Um, and getting paid for like what we all do, like good quality construction that we care about. Honestly, it's not important to me about getting paid for that, frankly. I am going to do that whether I'm getting paid more or less than somebody else because I don't come to work to make money. I come to work to like learn, build nice stuff and also know that like we give a lifetime warranty on stupid. That's what I always tell people. So like we try to not be stupid, you know, and if we are stupid, then we own it. Yep. That's a fantastic one. We, uh, we actually have that in our like disclosures uh, document that we give to uh, potential clients or to new clients with their contract. And, you know, it talks about hardwood flooring can be various colors in the same lot. We tile might have, you know, we might have to order more waste for specific types. And uh, while we give you the basic HBA uh, or NHAB, but the National Home Builders Association's uh, warranty, uh, that doesn't apply to we did something wrong. Yeah. If we did something wrong, we're going to come back and fix it. But I like your your idea of saying we don't we we warranty stupid. And, you and know, for those of you that are just listening, uh, you can't see the inquisitive face that Mr. Basic is making. And I can't tell if he has a question to ask or if his computer locked up. <laughs> And now he just he just sits there. He lingers. Uh, okay, so then you've been with the company solid since '99. I mean, I, I went to college in the period from 2000 to 2004. But every summer over college, that was my summer job. Was you know progressively from handyman then to like permit expediting. I, I didn't step into a into a supervision role until 2005. Um, when I graduated and at that point I was project manager for 144 unit townhouse, uh, development that we did where my dad and his partner, God bless them, had a brilliant idea that we were going to have five models, but anybody could customize anything inside any of those homes to any spec they wanted. And so I ran a, I mean, which was a, a total mess, but it worked and we got, we got it done. I, I ran the, uh, customer service part of that and the, um, you know, the project management side of dealing with 144 custom homes built over the course of 30 months. Goodness. I'm glad I don't have to project manage 144 custom homes over my I entire mean, career, probably. I mean, the good thing <laughs> that we have is that, like, you know, well, I'm super lucky. Like, we don't have any employees. We have one new employee who's working with us for just a year. But, like, my super, who run one of my supers, has been with, a, with my, my father for 41 years. And another one of our supers has been with us since he's 16 and he's 39. So the good thing is that my guys in the field, it's a situation where it's like they don't need a lot of project management. You know, they they need you to just tell them what they're building and leave them alone and answer their questions. I feel like if I were to go back to bags on, I could probably do the you give me the appropriate amount of information. I'll call you when the house is done by myself. Uh, just being the on-site guy, but man, I, I wish I had, I wish I had that in reverse. <laughs> I wish that I had even our team that we feel like is very well put together. And the, the people that we've worked with over the last five years, it still is, uh, it's still babysitting sometimes. I'm sure you have 
babysitting sometimes too. Oh yeah, for sure. We're, we're doing a thing. We did. A, we've had. We're on a journey. The past year, we have been like we we did a crash course in bringing builder trend into our business this year, and like we're actually going through builder trend con- onsite consulting this month, and we have our onsite next week, and like the difference of the quality of experience we're providing to the customer and also the lifestyle that my supers are living with like less stress by bringing a really great project management layer into there. Um, it's fantastic. It's really, it's great. And ironically, I used to hang up on builder trend every time they called me for like eight years. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been using it for a a while now too. And we have a, a new hire that's starting in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I was very happy yesterday when I was like, Hey, before you come by the office today to pick up all the paperwork I need you to fill out, I need you to go ahead and sign up through our builder, the builder trend link that I sent you and download the app. And he was like, Oh no, I got it already. And I kind of just like paused for a second. And I was like, does the company that you work for now use it? And he was like, yes. And I was like, okay, I've had so many onboarding conversations with, uh, you know, project managers or carpenters over the last four or five years that we've been using, online software where they're like, I I don't, how do I put that on my phone? What do I do? How am I supposed to log in? And I'm just like, oh, we have somebody joining our company that knows the drill. This is going to be a whole new thing. We're implementing a, like a minor procedure with checking in deliveries because this whole supply chain, chain management thing has made us mental. So we're just like, we'll like buy something we need in eight months and just have it shipped just so it doesn't not it doesn't disappear, but then it disappears within our world. And so, and it's always found. So we like added some custom fields into the PO so we could write where it was stored and stuff like that and find it later. And my supers said to me when I told, showed them this on Monday, they were like, Are you getting us a secretary to do this? <laughs> like, and you're no. like, nope. But I am paying you for the time that you spend doing this. Actually, what I said was, since you don't work on Saturday and I do, and we hang up a lot of bath hardware on Saturdays, because that's what I do with my my laborers, I was like, I won't call you on Saturday at 8 a.m. because I can't find something, because it'll be in Builder Trend and we'll know where it is. Yep, exactly. I like the daily logs for me, because I look at daily logs from yesterday in the morning before anybody gets in, and I can quickly send out a company-wide email saying, hey... Don't don't go there this morning because you clearly got done with that. We need to, you know, change gears or whatever. We now I'm do, waiting we, for Mr. Basic to chime in here too. By the way, chime in. <laughs> so I'll, I'll pull Steve, Steve in here. So I, I was saying offline that we uh, we we were really uh, I was really super inspired by that by a design Steve did to like hang a balcony off the side of a house um, and thermally and, and, you know, durability separated. Because one of the things we see on these coastal homes that are like oceanfront, um, you'll see so much that the architects will just be like, oh, you want a balcony? So let's take a 20 foot, like a 20 foot LVL, hook it up, you know, with some, with some Ticos to the LVL going perpendicular in the middle of the house and stick five feet of those through the exterior wall. And like, it's always been our policy that we won't do it. We just won't do it because like that LVL is going to rot out. This is from my dad. Those are going to rot out and then it's going to be my problem. And how am I waterproofing all of that crap, you know, where it's going to get wind driven rain crap and all that. So, you know, we've, we've got to have a solution for that. And then I had a, a, a client, I saw Steve's video and a client, we were taking a house that we kind of built before on spec and like basically duplicating it. We had a similar lot that they wanted. And we were going to take that house and just customize it for them. And one of the things they wanted was up on the third floor of this house. So like at elevation 35 above sea level, 
um, with full direct ocean exposure. They wanted me to give them a five foot deep by 20 foot wide balcony with a four panel sliding glass door. And I'm like, I, I really don't want to do it. I was like, because like I could do everything right and this could still become a problem for me. And it's way up in the air. And how am I fixing this? And, um, and then I had st- seen Steve's video and I'm like, this is not, this is not that bad. Uh, we can do this. So we, 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 because we had a uh, rigging issues because I, I have behind me dunes that I can't bring cranes on. And this house is so tall that like to lift over the top of it would have been super expensive. So actually the way we re-engineered your, your design was we made it all up out of 316 stainless steel flitch plates essentially. So I had my steel fabricator fabricate all the steel structure as a kit. Um, with the spec that no one piece could weigh more than 150 pounds. And, um, and we basically hung the steel up on the structure. So we did similarly what you had designed where there's LVLs, king studs in the wall. There happened to be a very major steel frame in this house anyway. So we, uh, ha- had the wide flange steel beam right under the floor level anyway. And we basically enclosed the whole house. I had siding all done up to this. The windows were installed. Everything was, we do our own on-site ASTM testing for the windows and doors. So that was all done already. And then at that point, we just sort of like paused and said, how the hell are we actually building this thing? And re-collaborated on it and set up a pump jack and just slowly worked on it, drilling through bolts in. Prosoko are guarding the bolts where they came through the walls, layering on the steel. And over the course of three days, we installed this, this, this like basket hanging on the side of the house. And ironically, we have two balconies that are column supported on the second floor that are the same width and depth. And when you walk on them, they're all springy. And when you walk on this one, it's just like solid as a rock. But what's awesome about it is that I know that like if it's ever a problem, I can just peel that thing off the house with a pump jack, you know? Yeah. yeah. Without, Without having to pull siding. And, and I mean, any yeah. of the other benefits is thermally broken and all this stuff. And um, I have my drainage mat between all of that and my zip sheathing. And it's, it, it's really cool. And I just want to more than anything, I'll say thank you for like the culture of sharing that you guys have created or are part of that, like a great idea like that gets to get built by someone else. I always find it interesting Architects are probably more of a criminal of this than some builders, although some builders think the same way. But if if you invited some, some uh, let's say, architects, and you said, okay, we're going to go camp in the woods tonight. You know, it's heavily guarded. There's a big hill, no wind or any of that. They're going to come with a certain amount of gear. And then if you said the next day, you know, we're going to go camping again, but this time we're going to camp out at the edge of the jetty right there, right at the water's edge. I'm guessing they probably bring different gear than they would the night before, but somehow they don't see that translation in the house that the house should have different gear, that it's just the same house. I mean, we, I do a lot of coastal projects, um, you know, north and south of Boston. And in one house, I just, I remember walking out back there. It had four inches of ice on the whole back side of the house. It literally looked like a, a iceberg um, because there was a, there was a seawall. So the, the ocean was constantly smashing the seawall, throwing this mist in the air and the mist gets blown on the house. And, like window siding everything it was under this like four inches of ice and it just 
you know, it reminded me there that I can go across the street and it's a totally different environment, a hundred feet away, 200 feet away than it is standing right here. And, and I mean, obviously those projects are not the cheapest built homes, right? Just because of their location. And I'm not saying cheapest in building science sense. I'm saying it in aesthetic sense. I mean, those lots aren't the cheapest. So people who can afford those lots can probably afford some nice things, but that still doesn't translate into nice building science things that coordinate with that. So it's really, uh, what's, what's kind of crazy is like we have ASCE 24, like flood standards and like, Generally speaking, the building inspectors all get that and enforce it on us. And even if the architects missed it, like the building, the code officials, even the more simple guys, they know the basics of ASCE 24 as it applies to what gets built in their village or town. But like at the same time, the the, the IRC like just doesn't deal with the fact that a coastal home is a it's a boat. It's not a house, you know, and. And as a result, like, like I see this all the time. I have a job that we might be doing this year where like, it's a sad situation where like I got brought in to like, they were referred to me by another client. I don't really do a ton of like remodel work, you know, or things like that. But I had somebody where basically had a bad GC and they mixed PEX A and PEX B piping. And as a result, the fittings like blew off the other side because nothing was installed right. And like, so long story short, I was in this house, I had to rip, I had to cut every ceiling open of a $5 million custom house that was built two years ago and repipe the whole thing. And while I'm there, they're like, hey, can you just take a look at the the siding on this house? And I'm like, sure. And it's, it's all Marvin, um, premium, you know, the high-end series, impact glass stuff. It's installed, it's on a bluff over the Peconic Bay and gets you know, direct exposure. And it's a, it's a beautiful vertical and horizontal cedar installation. And they're like, yeah, so we've spent $100,000 repainting this house already. Um, we've done it five times. And I'm like, yeah, but you see that it. all the time. I mean, I, I, I see houses, they have a $200,000 window package or more and a $10 flashing kit. It's like, it, you know, you, so you're Steve, buying if, if I, some of if the I have best windows you- Marvin makes. And then you're buying the cheapest tape because, oh, no, that other flashing tape, that stuff's really expensive. Well, no problem. What do you think? What do you think the WRB on that house was? Um, um, black felt. I'm, paper. I'm guessing it was a, a house wrap. If only it was black felt paper. It was. It's. It's Tyvek, not even Tyvek drain wrap. You know, and you know one of the things that drives me bananas is that what everybody goes, but my house is super airtight. And you're like, yeah, because spray foam is king in Long Island. So people are hitting their three ACH because they're just blasting closed cell spray foam for forty thousand dollars in walls. But we had a failure of a house that was blue skin, you know, VP 160 or 100, whatever the residential one is, installed over three-quarter plywood. And we were did great numbers, like a 2.1 or whatever. Like for them, it was great numbers for us. Uh, ACH with a spray foam package and a new cedar over the top of that and uh, no drainage mat. And I had done a bunch of blue skin in the city on our vertical job, so we knew it. And I, the first thing I said was like, don't we need a primer for this? And I, I called up the blue skin rep. He's like, no, no, the whole beautiful thing is that if you're putting it on wood, you don't need a primer. And I'm like, but like, it's like February, you know, and it's kind of wet out here. Is it going to stick? And he's like, no, it's good. So long story short, it didn't. And then we put the new cedar on it, which requires us to put screws in it like every foot. And... It basically drank 
water through the spirals on the screws because there's no air barrier on the outside of that house. The air barrier is on the inside of the house. And we had like a few really critical like corners that would take the wind that we ended up, I mean, we just took whole sections of the new cedar off carefully, took off the blue skin, prosokoed the whole wall, put it back together, you know, and like dealt with the issue. We didn't charge the customer for that, but that was what inspired me that I'm like, we're just never doing this again. Like we're not, not putting rain screens on these houses because it's for the $10,000 that it costs. This house is the difference between five years of life and 50 or a hundred. Yeah. What's interesting though, is like even, even decent building science ideas might not be enough. I remember we years ago, we took apart, we were working on a house. We took apart the vinyl siding on this existing house. Um, and uh, we were totally renovating it and like tripling its size. But all I remember is the builder pointing out when we were taking off the vinyl siding, it was all packed solid with sand. So it's like the the wind Thermal and mass. the sand just <laughs> it filled like every void. And so the vinyl siding, you'd sit there and say, okay, well, it's acceptable rain screen, but it was packed solid with sand. Yeah, so even I mean, if you did the right thing, you might not have done enough. Um, it's, that's the uh, truth. It's, it, I guess the moral of the story is it's just a friggin' challenging situation. I mean, you have it's, to, a, it's you have a barrier to, coast with a, <laughs> with a barrier failed. You have <laughs> I mean, to verify. There you go. That's why <laughs> what we, we, have, we, we, had, we had back in like 2016 um, we had this house we built and it was the first one we switched to try to put weather shield windows out. And nor'easter came in, but like not nothing crazy, just like a you know a winter storm. And we come in to check this house. It was a spec on on the market, and there's like second floor facing the bay. There's a little stain by the wood reducer in the on a double slider. And so we're like, that's that's we got to investigate that. Let's see what that is. And we I had a thermal camera at that point. We're really banging our heads against the wall, and we just can't figure it out. So we I called up our our our. And our hers raider and said, can you do me a favor? Can you come over here and put a blower door on this house? And I'm going to spray that thing with water. And so we like put that house at like negative 150 pascals, whatever the fan could do to that house. We did it and we shot water at the door to try to make the door, door fail. And, um, you know, the door failed a little bit, but not bad. It was a little spitting happening, but it wasn't bad. And it turned out that what was happening was it was where we had Azek trim just screwed right into the mullion right next to it through Tyvek drain wrap was where all the water was coming in. And we looked at that and we're like, what the hell are you about that? And we were like, we were uh, in the stone age. Are all then. of our trim packages screwed on like that. Yeah. So we were in stone age. So what we did was take this trim off and route grooves out of the back of the trim to let water drain, <laughs> you know, but, um, but you know, that's what inspired us so that after that we bought a little rig. It wasn't a lot of money, which is a spray rack and a little, uh, you know, gauges and a fan, like a shop vac with some gauges on it. And we run a 1105 ASTM 1105 test before we sheetrock every house. Now we're just like install every window. No, we do like, we do every type, but I don't tell them I do it the way, you know, I come from, from, uh, doing, you know, buildings in the city where like that's in New York city, that that's code. I have to hire a third party laboratory to do that. So, um, so I've watched them, re the real guys do it. And what they do is they, they just make you install a bunch of windows and then they don't tell you until they show up which one they're going to test. So I do that to my guys. And, 
Um, for us, it's always a learning experience. And if we start getting a fail, then we'll go check another one or whatever it may be. And like, we just did a great one where like, we've been switching to fluid, uh, uh, to fluid pans and my carpenter window installer, like the guy who I use for a lot of stuff was like, I like the fluid pan, but can you just uh, let me put a lead copper pan under these big doors anyway? And we'll put the fluid end of the lead copper. And so he does that. And if you can believe it in our market, it is extremely rare to not find bottom flanges taped right now on windows and doors. So I have to, I think that's national still. I have to reeducate every single person who installs a window and a door to make sure that's not happening. And, um, in any event, we run the test and we get into like 30 minutes on a 12 wide slider and there were like no 24 minutes. And all of a sudden under the lead pan, which is all Prosoco air dammed on the inside, it starts to spit water. And I'm like, what? Like not the door under the pan. And I'm like, what happened here? And we have temporary plywood on the deck, so I can't see the lead pan. And I tell the guys, go take the plywood up. We finish the test and I go take the plywood up. What, what, what could have happened here? And I go look and the guys installed the lead pan the same way we tell them to install the windows. So they left the whole underside of the apron unsealed because they were thinking that should drain also, which I thought was great that they were thinking about that. But the problem was that in 30 minutes of the test of the cyclic you know, uh, air pressure test, we drank enough water under that little that you know, gap to suck the water all the way back inside. And that, that's the point like to clients when they think we're kind of mental with some of the stuff we do. We're like, that's that ASTM test is like not adequate for our environment. Honestly, it's not real that yeah. you run only 30 minutes of a 50 mile an hour wind with a heavy rain. We could get that for four days. You know, I'm wondering if I should get fake glasses like you, Jake, because it does make you marginally more intelligent looking. <laughs> I'm just wondering if it would do the same. They also make me more intelligent. They're not fake because when I have to take them off to like wash my face or take a shower or something, I have that terrifying moment that like in a post-apocalyptic world where somebody breaks my glasses, I'm now the one that has to just so you're, crawl you're into in the a bathroom hole and die. like this. Like where's yeah, the wall? Pretty bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I'm equally okay. Blind. We have. If I can't find my glasses, are? I need my wife to do it for me. Yeah, the same here. If I dropped them and then accidentally kicked them, I would just have to sit and wait for somebody to come and help me. <laughs> it would be impossible. Uh, Next time we're together, okay, so I'm going to intentionally hide them on you. We're thanks, buddy. We're uh, coming to the close. We got somewhere, you know, five to ten minutes max, probably, because I know that Steve has a heart out this morning. Uh, I want to hear about the uh, building science conundrum that you are uh, donating a little bit of your time on today, Chad. So, yeah, so I, I was uh, telling. Oh, and don't tell us the solution. Tell I, us what the problem the is and we'll yet. see what Steve I mean, says. I, it could be a non-building science. It could be a maintenance issue. But um, I, I've, I've, I've had the, the, the true pleasure and honor of sitting through some Peter Yost building science puzzle puzzle classes great i know yeah he's gonna get that reaction but uh, (laughs) but you know so i got i i got recruited to be on the facility committee of my daughter's uh hebrew day school in um brooklyn and uh it's in a um the building is a five-story new construction building that's about 10 years old in brooklyn so what that should tell you is it's half a condo and then the other half is actually the school And what that should tell you is that this is like, looks like good construction, but anything you see built in New York City, you should make the assumption that it was built as poorly as possible with as much hate in the process as possible, because that is the New York City construction way. And um, so in any event, um, 
I got the email, the first thing I'm on this committee that I've been engaged to deal with. They sent me an email from the woman who, the teacher there, the assistant, I guess, who is both the facility manager, also the nurse. She's got a bunch of hats. So she's not a building science professional or building maintenance professional at all. And they're chasing leaks with their rooftop air conditioning units on the roof of this building. And it starts water off leaks. with that these water leaks have only begun since the COVID required us to start doing five air changes per hour in the school building for ventilation purposes. And I've been advised that the compressors only have five years left on them and all this other stuff. And they've run actually what's a pretty good set of preliminary investigation before I got there, which is that she and the roofer have been tarping one unit at a time. They couldn't even figure out which one it was for a while because I guess I don't know why they couldn't figure it out. So in any event, they've been over time putting a tarp over the unit, waiting a few weeks, and then you know figuring out which one was the leaker. So they figured out one's a leaker and they don't know why. They don't know, is the pan inside it rusted? Is there something else going on? So the first question I had in my preliminary was, when you say five air changes per hour, what do you mean by that? Like, what is, how have we, like, you know, have we determined that we're doing that? And are we, we might be bringing the air in, but are we letting any out? You know, because one of my concerns here is that potentially we've just created an enormous negative pressure situation or positive in this school. And this pan is fine, but this pan is pressurized and just any water that gets into it is just going to just never leave because of that same reason why when I put an air pressure chamber on a sliding glass door until I turn the fan off, that track's not going to stop. We start weeping. And so like the, the first part of this entire thing is they're asking the building to do something that it wasn't necessarily designed to do. And they probably didn't consult their HVAC guy or their builder about whether or not they should do this to the building. Exactly. And I mean, more than anything else, like I said, like, how did you come up with like what that actually means? How do you know you're doing five air changes? And when I started asking the head of the facilities committee who was around for this, he's like, we weren't even consulted. I have no idea how anyone figured this out. As far as I'm concerned, they just turned the fan on all the time, you know, so and running the and running the fan all the time means there's more uh, infiltration from outside stuff that might have humidity. It might have moisture, it might have whatever. Uh, I didn't want to be a smartass. Their idea is dilution. Yeah, like I guess I didn't want to be a smartass, but, but code when that building was built in New York City was that the building itself only had to do only had to be airtight to six air changes per hour. So the reality is, is you technically probably don't have to do probably anything does to achieve five. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but that said, has anybody blower door tested, tested the building? Um, you know, I we I, the building's a little too big for the equipment we have, but. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not, I, you know, I have the instant solution in here, which is that, you know, New York City, and one of the reasons I've sort of pulled out of doing it is because it's become layers of complexity that are unnecessary. And as I was explaining, not so politely, the, the, there's no value on a good builder in New York City anymore. The value is on a cheap builder only. And so that's just not who I am and I don't really want to do it. But like this building's big conundrum, why they triggered to us is that they were just going to deal with it themselves and bring a little crane over. It's only only five stories, pick this thing up so someone could look underneath it and see what's going on. But they can't do that because there's a subway there and there's a new rule after a crane collapse three years ago that you have to have MTA approve any use of any boom, any type of hoisting equipment, which is going to, which the preparation of documents costs about 40 grand for that. So just to because 
the crane could create point loading issues above their substructure. Correct. See, those glasses are working for you. You're wicked right. smart. With I, I've, I've done this before. We, we did a building, this little this little toy right here. We, this Damn. building we built over here is supported on 155 micro piles that are the closest one is four and a half feet from a uh, 19th century subway tunnel. Um, and uh, I had uh, great friends now with a uh, MTA inspector who had a, I had to what's make a, a What's a micro pile? It's a concrete. It's, it's a pile, but smaller, smaller, Steve. And it, what it oh, was was it's, it's a drilled. It's essentially a caisson. It's basically what we we had two different types for the MTA side within the MTA's influence line, which is like a two to one slope from their foundation. We had to do a different method than where we did on the rest of the site. But basically, the way it worked is we took a, a used oil pipeline uh, pipe that had teeth cut into it, and they hook it up to an Italian rig. That basically you pump water into the center of that tube, you spin it with a hammer drill, and you drill it down 75 feet. And then you drop a single threaded bar that's like a two-inch diameter into the center of that. And then you sort of straighten that out, and then you pump grout in there. And the, for the MTA, you have to use retracted casing because they're worried about you blowing concrete through their wall. So in that case, once you put the grout in, you hook the machine back up and you back the, um, the, the casing out to reveal the bearing area of the column because we were located on, we had like a stratum of like good soil and then we had peat and then we had good soil. So we had to disconnect the building from the peat and the stuff above it. So we had a 25 foot casing that remained. The micro pile, Steve, technically is really cool technology out of Germany where the much faster way to do it is you drill in your casing to disconnect you from the bad stuff. And then you drop that same threaded rod in, which that has a drill bit head on it with jets in the head of it and as you drill you pump grout at the same time and you just it's like a cowboy operation you're just like you cannot hit if you hit a boulder you just got to drill harder you otherwise you got a problem you got to rinse out all that grout so you just drill down your 75 feet while injecting concrete at the same cement grout at the same time and then when it's done you just chill make sure you keep flushing the thing out to get good you know good rich mix take your samples you're done move on to the next one Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, this was enlightening, and I'm going to call this an introduction. Uh, Chad, are you going to IBS this year? I am. Yeah. Okay. Make What's sure. What's IBS? With... <laughs> that's that's Steve's favorite joke because the first time that I went to IBS, he said, "Hey, are you going to the Builder Show?" And I was like, "I don't know what that is." He was like, "No, the Builder Show in Vegas." And I was like, "Yeah, buddy. Uh, explain." He's like, no, oh, it's, you know, IBS. And I was like, dude, you're going to have to use different words or something. So he picks at me when we talk about IBS that, like, I had no idea what it was before I went the first time. And I only went because Steve was like, you should go. It'll be fun. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I go, we used to go, my dad's pattern used to be, even if it was Vegas, that we would, my dad doesn't like staying out of the house. So we would fly there in the morning on a 5 a.m. flight, do the show, walk 10 miles and fly home. But uh, that day... And but now there's a nice community of people around and I like to hang out a little longer. So he might do that, but I'll be in Florida for a few days this time. Okay. Well make sure you connect with us. Chad, plug your uh plug your IG as well. You have two different ones, correct? Yeah. So I'm uh at Chad Guest, that's C H A D G E S S. And then also we're at First Dunes. Uh First Dunes, the way it sounds. 
Okay. Yeah. They are uh, uh, they're a good follow, especially Chad's personal page with the stories and everything. It's it's good stuff, man. And I, I want to thank you guys just real quick. Thank you for having me and also for the community you guys are a part of and built because like very inspirational and you're doing good things for uh, for both the clients and the builders. So it's a it's a great thing and thank you. Well, thank you. And continue to share your stuff too, because I think it's uh, pretty interesting. We always talk about exposure and risk and all these things, and we always use the if you're building on the uh, shoreline analogy is you're going to have to do a better job. And I don't know very many builders that actually have to build on the shoreline and have to do a better job. So, uh, Steve, do you have clothing, closing thoughts or anything? No, he's going to say, Steve, no. I knew he was going to say, are no. you going to, are you going to design my next house or what? I'm ready when you are, buddy. Let's do it. All right. I'm emailing you offline. We have a brand new lot for a spec house. We just got in contract. There you go. I'm ready there to come down there. Okay. So, if you watched on YouTube today, this is our first uh, Zoom call YouTube video. Uh, don't I've done Zoom to... calls before. I've done Zoom calls. No, before. this is our first one that we published to YouTube. Oh. Try to not try to not listen. If you're going to listen poorly, just don't listen. Deal. <laughs> now he's just sitting there. This is my favorite part. Uh, don't forget to click like and subscribe. If you listen to us on whatever format you listen to the podcast podcast, just the audio version. Uh, don't forget to leave us a five star review on iTunes and spread the word. We're trying to uh, we're trying to actually educate other people, as Chad said. We're trying to share this content. Uh, you should say we- something catchy like "spread the word" so we can spread the word. There you go. You heard it. You heard it here first. Thanks for watching the Unbuild It podcast. Till next time, Chad. Chad thanks, thanks for being man. a guest. It's been a treat. Thank yeah, you guys. Trying to appreciate close it. this out. No, I appreciate <laughs> appreciate the story. It's really cool. I agree. I look forward to connecting with you at IBS, man. Uh, thank you guys. Have a good day. Pleasure. Yeah. Bye now.